Today's episode is brought to you by Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast, where we interview people from our Michigan community who answered the call of leadership. We will hear their powerful stories and get their advice. Now, today's guest is really big in community. He was the president of the DDA Ambassador for a number of years. He now sits on the Frank Muth Chamber of Commerce Committee. He's a loving husband, a caring father, and a fanatical basketball coach for his kids' basketball team at St. Michael's. He's the owner of True Value in Frank Booth and Vassar. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Adam Barden. Adam, how are you? I'm great, Cliff. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for carving out time because I know with uh, the current climate today, a lot of small businesses are really scrambling to try to stay afloat. So I'm, I'm grateful for the time that you're able to carve out for us. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this and it's a nice uh, break from the craziness we have going on right now. Oh, I absolutely bet. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. First off, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Where did you grow up? I actually grew up in Vassar. I was I was born in uh, Lapeer and spent the first few years of my life, my life just a short distance away from here in Otisville is where my parents originally lived when I was born. I'm the oldest of three. Uh, when I was four, my parents bought a little hardware store in Vassar and we moved to Vassar and I, I, I uh, grew up in Vassar after that. Excellent. Now you grew up in in Vassar. Did you graduate from Vassar High School? I did. 1994. 94. I graduated in 89. (laughs) Well, not not that far (laughs) apart. (laughs) No, not that far apart at all. So after high school, you decided to go off to college. Where did you go? I did. I I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to attend Lawrence Technological University in Southfield, where I I went and I obtained my bachelor's degree in uh, mechanical engineering. What made you decide to go into mechanical engineering? In high school and, you know, all the aptitude testing and um, classes that you take, you kind of get some advice from people and my, my aptitudes and my interests kind of pointed me in the direction of engineering. I really enjoyed math and, and did well at it. And I, I liked putting things together and building things. So engineering seemed like a uh, pretty natural fit for me at the time. Then you wound up graduating from college. Yeah. And you went off into the private sector and you got a job. What were you, what were you doing at the time? While I was in, in uh, college, I started on a co-op program. So the, the, the last two years of my undergraduate degree, I worked um, while I was going to school for a small uh, relatively small in, in the automotive industry, a company called uh, Fayette Tubular Products. And what we made were the exciting air conditioning and tube and hose assemblies that go under the hood of your car to to transport the refrigerant from one component to the next. I was fortunate enough that when I graduated, they had offered me a full-time position and and I got my first real job after after I graduated and took that job. Excellent. Now you you had the you you were working out there in in the manufacturing engineering world for a number of years, but at some point in time you decided to go back and get your masters. Why did you do that? Yeah, I I had uh, I had always had visions on uh, furthering my education. I actually uh, initially thought that I would probably pursue a masters in engineering and continue in that course, but at the time in the in the late 90s, early 2000s in the automotive industry, uh, MBAs were pretty well regarded and highly valued for for people that were moving up in in companies. As a young enterprising person that I was, that was that was high on my mind. So I uh, 
elected to pursue the MBA instead of furthering the engineering degree paths. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm, I'm pretty glad I did because it helped round out my education a little bit and gave me a different perspective on the financial management of a business and things like that. But there, there were a lot of debates internally about which way that should go. But um, in the end, I, I think I made the right choice. And I know we'll probably talk about that a little bit more when we when we talk into you being in business. You graduated with an MBA and you still, at that point in time, you were still working in engineering and manufacturing. Yeah. But then you segued back into the hardware business, specifically uh, true value. What made you, what, what was the, what was the event that made you walk that route? Well, I, I was, uh, I, as, as we've talked about, I, I had kind of uh, started to work my way up in the automotive industry. I had moved up in the company I was into a, a relatively high level of management, not quite in the executive suite, but close to it. <clears throat> and then the, um, you know, the economic downturn happened in 2008 and things got really ugly in the automotive industry. Jobs were being lost left and right. Uh, everybody's sales were down, profits were down, and everybody was scrambling, trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And my job really had evolved from uh, when I first got out of college, being an, a, a real engineer, which what I mean by that is actually designing products and you know prototyping them, testing them, and then moving them into the production phase and seeing uh, how they went on vehicles. I mean, it transitioned into more of a managerial role, and that that managerial role, uh, particularly in those times, really became a exercise in determining who's who was going to keep their job and who wasn't going to keep their. After about after about a year of that or so of going through that and dealing with that, it was a it was actually the Fourth of July. I, I remember in two thousand and eight that we were we were at my parents' cabin up in Sanford Lake, and I I got a phone call from my boss that I had to get on a conference call because we were going to, we were going to talk about a whole group of people that were going to get laid off the following Monday when we went back to work. And I came back from that meeting, you know, totally deflated. And I, I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I just don't, I don't see another 20 to 30 years of this in my future. I just, I don't have any control over these decisions being made. I don't, the decisions being made aren't good decisions. They're being made for you know, either political and or legal reasons, not necessarily what's the right reason to, to keep these people. Uh, obviously, cuts had to be made, but not the smartest cuts were being made. So it, it, that's kind of where it started. And we just started talking, my wife and I, I looked at a number of different business aspects. I always have had an entrepreneurial spirit and I really wanted to have my own business. So we looked at everything from car washes to renovating homes and selling them and one day my wife said, well, have you ever thought about talking to your parents about their store? Because they, my parents were getting very close to retirement. As a matter of fact, they had, they had started to sell down inventory in the store in Vassar in the, with the idea that they were just going to basically sell the inventory down and close the store. So I picked up the phone one day and I called my parents and I said, hey, uh, what do you guys think about selling me the hardware store? There was silence for quite some time on the other end. <laughs> they, they were totally shocked and never expected to get that phone call from me. So yeah, we, we met after that and started talking about it. And that's kind of where the transition happened. That's interesting. You mentioned something before about how you had felt you always had this entrepreneurial spirit. How would you describe that? Like how, like if you were, if somebody was sitting across from you and they said, and they said, I don't really know what that means or understands. Well, how would you describe that feeling? 
I would summarize it by when you work, especially when you work in corporate America and you see decisions being made that are just, you know, clearly wrong decisions and the, the, the level of frustration that you feel with not being able to affect that decision or change that decision. I think if you have a, an entrepreneurial spirit, you say, I'm going to do something about that. You know, I'm not, I can't, I can't continue to tolerate these types of poor decisions being made and not being able to do anything about it. So I'm going to put myself in a position where if a decision has to be made, I'm going to be able to have something to say about it. I know what you mean. I was working with a client who him and I were having a, it wasn't a heated conversation, but we were diverging in our, in our talking. And he said something to me, I'll never forget. He said, he said, I don't care about people. I only care about production. And, you know, right there, it reminded me why I enjoy working for myself because my response to him was, if you take care of your people, production will take care of itself. Right. You know, so yeah. it was just, and I totally get what you're saying when, when, when you talk about that. So yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I know you said that your parents actually bought a hardware store. Did you ever work in the hardware store with them? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. As a kid growing up in school, that's, that was my summer job and after school job. So I, I worked at the hardware store growing up quite a bit actually. And the hardware store that your parents purchased was an actual true value hardware store at the time, right? Yeah. Well, actually, when they purchased it, it was not. It was a Western Auto, uh, which uh, you you may remember, but yes, <laughs> some of our younger friends might not. But yeah, it was actually a Western Auto when they purchased it. I mean, they upon purchasing it, they converted it to a true value hardware store. So then you elected to reach out to your parents and you said, I'm interested in buying your shop and they agreed. So you took over management of that shop. Now, how long did you manage that particular hardware store before you got the itch to expand? Well, I, I bought the store for my parents in 2009. We closed the deal in September of 2009. My mom continued working for about six months after that and my dad for about a year and then they both fully retired after that and then probably around 2014 is when I started thinking about what's the next thing that we want to do or what do we want to look towards for growth and then in 2015 is when we ended up opening our store in Frankenmuth. Why did you decide to open up a second hardware store? There's, there's obviously with a, with a store that's been in a community for, well, this year's our 40th year in Vassar, which we're pretty proud of, but there's, a, there's only so much growth opportunity there. So we have, obviously we have a store that's been run very well for a long time. And we feel like we've maximized pretty much what we can do in that store location, just because there's only there are only so many people in the community that we can serve. So the decision was, you know, if, if we want to continue to grow and continue to try to get better, we're probably going to have to look at a second location versus expanding our existing location, you know, into a bigger store or something like that. And when you did decide to go for a second door, what made you what made you decide to purchase in Frankenmuth? I wanted our our first branch store, we'll call it, I wanted our first branch store to be relatively close to us just because it's a lot easier to keep your hands around something when it's nearby. Uh, we're able to share resources quite easily. We can share staff, uh, which actually right now we're having to do because of the, some of the issues going on today. We're able to share equipment, trucks, and even inventory when we need to, to, to help service our customers. So especially being a first time that I'd manage more than one location. I wanted it to be pretty close just to cut down on the 
the issues of having to travel a long distance to support a store or, or something like that. So we felt it was the safest way to go is to stay nearby. And I do know that, and I hear this a lot when I'm reading the news and stuff, talking about big box stores squeezing out the little guy, the little independent shop owners or whatnot. What do you, from a true true value standpoint, you, you owned your business for five years, you were successful enough that you felt you were ready to expand and you did. So what was it that allows like a true value, like a small time, you know, a smaller time hardware store to be able to compete against like the Home Depots or the Lowe's of the world? Well, I think there are a few things to it. Obviously, we service a different market than they do in, in that they're, they're not going to open a Home Depot in a community the size of Vassar or Frankenmuth. You know, you couldn't support the overhead of one of those stores with the number of people that live in those communities. So that's probably one of the factors. You know, the things that we pride ourselves on are things that they don't do well or can't do well. And that's really very personalized service to our customers. That means, you know, probably 60 to 70% of our customers, our team knows by name when they walk in the door. So if you walk in the door, they're going to say, hey, Cliff, how are you doing today? And, you know, you're not going to get that at a Home Depot. That's not just a nice feeling because somebody knows your name. It's we know what you're working on. We also know what you like and what you don't like. We know what you know how to do and what you don't know how to do. In some cases, we know what level of help you want and what level of help you don't want. Some customers want to walk around and find things on their own. Some customers want somebody walking with them and showing them where everything is. So it's really a highly focused level of customer service, I think, that sets us apart from a big box store. To a certain extent, there are big box customers and there are our customers. And I think, you know, we know who our customers are and we really focus on them. If somebody's dead set that they're going to save 11% every other week, then that maybe isn't our customer and they're not going to be our customer. And that's okay. As long as we take the best care of our customers, we feel like we'll have plenty of customers out there to, to be able to keep doing what we need to do. And I know that I've actually been inside of the true value, not only in Vassar, but in Frankenmuth. And you're right, because every time that I've gone in there, I felt like people have really bent over backwards to try to help me because when it comes to doing any kind of home repair, I am incompetent. I'll, that's, I'm be, I think I'm being generous with that. What is it that you look for in, you know, when you're hiring an employee and you're bringing an employee on, what are traits that you yourself look for to say, is this person going to be a good fit for the team? Is this person going to take care of our customers? Well, we try to really hire people that one, we, and, you know, this is obviously very difficult to interview for, which a lot of things are, but we, we really try to find people that share common values with us. And, you know, those common values are, you know, we all, we all have pretty strong faith. We all believe in doing the right thing first. That's, that's, you know, one of our core values as a company is that we're going to do the right thing. It might not be the most profitable thing, but if it's the right thing, it's the thing we're going to do. Exactly. So we, we really try to find that out in the interview process. You know, does this person, do we think they share those, some of those common values with us because the, the skill sets, the, the knowledge, most of that stuff can be taught. So we don't, we really don't interview a lot for experience or skill sets. Although in some cases we need a certain level of experience if, if it's a, a position that requires somebody to really hit the ground running. But for the most part, we find people that we feel share our values and then we try to train them to learn all the stuff they need to know to do a really good job. Today's episode is brought to you by Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. 
Cats bring all kinds of joy to your life. They make great companions while you read the newspaper or binge watch your favorite television show. If you're thinking about adopting one, then check out Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue. Based in Frankenmuth, Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue is a 501c3 nonprofit no kill cat shelter. Over the last 16 years, they found loving homes for hundreds of homeless kitties. Each cat is fixed, vaccinated, and microchipped before going to their forever home. While waiting for you to adopt one, Pet Angel Adoption and Rescue has a superb all volunteer staff that loves and cares for each and every cat. To learn how you can support, or even better, adopt one of these cute kitties, visit their website at PetAngelAdoption.com. Once again, that's PetAngelAdoption.com. Their link is in the show notes below. And now, back to the show. I know that, like a lot of businesses out there, at the time of this recording, we are we are still in this COVID-19 uh, corona recession that's going on. And I know there's going to be some ramp up times with that with, with regards to the, you know, the shutdown order and everything that's going on. Why don't you talk to us about, you know, as a small business owner, what are some of the, what are the, some of the biggest challenges that you have had to, to overcome so far? Well, the biggest single challenge we've probably had is just staffing. We've, because we've had a few employees that have elected to, you know, to stop coming to work just from a personal safety standpoint, which at the beginning of this, you know, we, we talked to all of our staff and we said, listen, this is everybody's, it's a personal decision you have to make. There's no, nobody's going to lose their job. Nobody's going to be punished. If you feel like it's, it's not safe for you to be at work, then you shouldn't be at work. We have a few people that are out because of that. And that's caused us some staffing shortages, which we had to, um, we had to adjust our store hours to compensate for that. The other big challenge is that we, we just talked about our customer service model, and it's really difficult for us to stay six feet away from our customers and still help them the way that we've trained everybody to help our customers. So that's been a real adjustment for everybody in our store because, you know, if I'm if I'm walking down the nut and bolt aisle trying to help you find the right fastener, it's it's challenging to to continue to stay six feet away from you and do that. Now, we've been doing our darndest to do that our job is to really help people on a personal level. So it's, it's been a real adjustment for us to try to do that from a distance. We've implemented some other things too, to help make it easier. We, we do have a curbside website. You can go shop everything in our store, buy it. We pull it and pack it and we'll bring it right out to your car. So you, you literally can buy almost anything in our store without ever coming face to face with anybody. And, and phone orders have been through the roof. I, our, our phones never rang so much as it has the last couple of weeks. I can tell you that. I bet. So we've, we've been doing a lot of phone orders, which is fantastic. And we really appreciate that our customers are using those tools. Stay at home. Don't go out unless you have to absolutely have to. Do you still find that you're getting a lot of foot traffic to your stores? There, on certain days, yes, we're still getting a fair amount of foot traffic. Uh, if the sun's out, we're still seeing a lot of customers because they're, you know, they're at home and they're trying to work on projects that they have at home because they don't have anything else to do. So we have seen some high traffic days, uh, definitely even after the stay at home order was put in place. It, we certainly are noticing a moderation of that now. And, you know, this normally would be the kickoff of our very busy season. Our busiest months of the year are April, May, and June. And we're starting to see now the real difference between what a normal year would be and what it is now. So I think, you know, I think we're going to have some lean times in the next couple of months, especially considering these are our, our best months of the year. But, 
consider ourselves very fortunate in that we are able to still stay open. We're able to keep everybody employed. So we're, we're very appreciative of that fact. And we're um, definitely trying to help our customers as best we can while still abiding by, you know, the spirit of, of the stay at home order and trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. Have you given any thought to what it's going to take once this all subsides at some point in time, the stay at home order is going to be lifted. We might still have to be six feet apart. Uh, have you given any, any thought of what that might look like? Well, I think for us, it'll probably look a lot like what we're doing today, which is, you know, we're, we're trying to keep everybody apart in the stores. We're trying to do as many orders as possible through the phone or through the internet. And I, you know, I honestly see that continuing probably if I had to guess, I would say into midsummer at the earliest, probably at this point in time, you know, it's really difficult to, we we've, we've kicked around closing the front doors altogether and going to a purely a curbside and phone model. And I, and I, and we definitely haven't ruled that out yet. I think there's still a possibility that that's going to going to happen uh, just because I think you have to find a way to continue to service the community, but you also have to really make sure that you're protecting everybody's health and safety. And if you, if you have too many people coming out, that might be the only way for us to limit traffic to the point where we feel it's safe. And that I agree. I I don't know when things are going to get back to a point where we all feel comfortable just being out and about at, at a restaurant or at a movie theater and stuff. So I just think it's just going to be, you know, precautions for, you know, the, the foreseeable future. And speaking of impact, because I know we talked about a little bit about the impact on your business. Mm-hmm. I know you also sit on the Frankenwood Chamber of Commerce Committee. Talk to us a little bit about what that exactly is. The committee I sit on is the Promotions Committee. And what the Promotions Committee's job is basically to involve the chamber businesses with the local community in Frankenmuth. So, you know, the Frankenmuth Chamber kind of has two arms. It has the Convention and Visitors Bureau and then the Chamber of Commerce. Well, our job is to really get the local residents engaged with the business community to understand what the businesses have, what they do, get local residents excited about the things we have going on in the business community. Why did you decide to serve on that committee? Uh, I was uh, initially I was asked to be on the committee by the chamber, accepted it, and I sat on the committee for um, a couple years, and then uh, last year was asked to be the chair of the of the promotions committee, which has been a great time. We um, we launched just this earlier this year, actually, the Frankenmuth Certified Program, which we're very excited about. It's an opportunity for all the residents and employees in Frankenmuth to learn more about the Frankenmuth community and to be better ambassadors for the community to visitors and to nearby communities. I know that you said that you got your degree in engineering, you got your MBA uh, in, in finance. Is there anything from your experiences or your education right there that you feel has really helped you to be successful at running a hardware store and growing a hardware store? Uh, Both degrees have been very helpful to me. Uh, As a matter of fact, I've, I've told a lot of kids that have worked for me that are undecided about what they want to do when they go to college. I've advocated many, many of these kids to look into engineering school because I'll tell people that an engineering degree is the most versatile degree you can get. It, it is extremely, extremely rigorous. You have to be very good at math. You have to understand physics. You have to understand chemistry. And you have to 
and they teach you how to solve problems. It doesn't matter what the problem is. They teach you the methodology of solving problems. So uh, engineering school was hugely valuable to me in uh, teaching me how to solve a problem, no matter how big or how complex it is. It teaches you how to break a problem down into its parts and apply the proper methodology to each part of that problem to fix it. So uh, again, I, I just tell kids, I say, if you don't know what you want to do, don't go get a general education degree or something that you know, you're not going to be able to do. Make yourself do the work and get an engineering degree and you can get a job in any industry, just about any industry with an engineering degree. My MBA obviously has been hugely important to me in managing a business, you know, understanding what a current ratio is and what a debt ratio is and how to read a financial statement are pretty important when you're trying to run a business and you, uh, you know, you need to know if you have enough money to make a a business decision or if it's a business decision that you shouldn't make. So my, my MBA certainly has been helpful in that respect. So honestly, the two of them together for me have been a, have been a great fit. I'm probably a little bit unorthodox in, in, in terms of the number of guys running hardware stores that have that particular background, but um, it's been good for me. So Excellent. And as a recovering engineer, uh, I can tell you that you are right about the problem solving because it just seems like whenever a problem pops up, my brain just goes into problem solving mode, break it down into its smallest parts. Let's fix this. What can we get done now? (laughs) You know, the whole nine yards. And and sometimes I wish I could shut it off, but you know, (laughs) it is who I am at my core. It's my, it's my training. So I guess at heart, I'll always be an engineer. I have a sign that hangs in, in my office in the bastard store, actually, that my wife bought me and now regrets that she bought me. (laughs) And that sign says, it says never, but never question the engineer's judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I might have to get one of those. (laughs) And I know we talked before about you being a basketball coach for your kids' basketball team. How did they do this last year? Great. Actually, we, uh, (laughs) I coached my daughter's uh, B basketball team at St. Michael's and then my son's C basketball team at St. Michael's. And they both had great seasons. Um, Most importantly, they, both teams really improved dramatically throughout the season. So we were really uh, happy about that. We think we're going to have really strong teams when we get to the A-team divisions uh, next year for the girls and a couple years for the boys. If our audience wants to connect with you or follow you online with your, you know, with running your business or things that you're doing in the community, what would be the best way for them to do that? Following our Facebook pages for both of our businesses is definitely probably the best way to keep up with what's going on with our businesses. If you haven't checked out our Facebook page for our Vassar store, especially, we have a couple guys that work in that store that really do a phenomenal job on our Facebook page. They, they make some hilarious videos that are out there all the time. And even during the coronavirus, they've put out some, um, some videos about social distancing that I think uh, everybody should check out because they're pretty entertaining, especially for uh, some people that don't know, really know much about technology or producing or video editing or anything like that. They've those guys they always uh, impress me with what they're able to do. Um, so our, our Facebook pages are are really where we spend most of our social marketing dollars and energy at. Um, we do do a little bit on Instagram, but not a ton yet. Um, we're kind of still growing into that. And then we're still, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm still trying to figure this Snapchat thing out, but um, we're, <laughs> we're working on that, on that as well. So It's TikTok, man, TikTok. Yeah, TikTok, yes. TikTok's the other one that we have to, we've got to get our TikTok game uh, amped up a little bit. 
Um, well, I, I have to give her a shout out, but Melissa Hager apparently is a TikTok queen, so maybe she can give you some lessons. Uh, Melissa's the queen of everything, so she, I'm sure she could give me some lessons on that. I, I, she's I <laughs> your friend, so. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's really great. Actually, her episode, by the time this one airs, her episode will have already come out. I, I interviewed her a handful of weeks ago before this whole Corona, the corona thing broke out, so that's going to be a very entertaining episode to release. Well, you, when you talk to her, you ask her about about the time that we worked together on our ladies' night last year because she she convinced me to uh, dress up as a woman and uh, we did things <laughs> on video that were that, that I, I can't get scrubbed off the internet. So <laughs> the internet never forgets, man. No. no. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Only Melissa would convince somebody to do that. That is yeah. absolutely great. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I had a great time. Hey, everyone, real quick before you bounce. If you want to join me on this journey to learn more from these fascinating community leaders, then hit the subscribe button at the top of your podcast player, and I will catch you in the next episode.